At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. We're actually going to be in Lamentations chapter 5 today. And we've been walking through this book over the past several weeks, and it's been an amazing journey for me, I know personally, and hopefully it's been uh, an amazing journey for you as well. And, you know, uh, just so that you are aware, if if you ever, uh, one of the greatest things that you can do and one of the resources that we want to provide for you is every Sunday um, our live stream is saved on our Facebook page. And so if you um, remember a sermon and, and, and you have got a friend that is in need or you're like, someone needs to hear this, that's a great resource. You can always share uh, that from Facebook. Or if you um, subscribe to podcast or wherever you get your podcast, every Monday the Sunday sermon is posted on a podcast. And so you're able to share that out uh, to those that might be uh, in need of that. And, and this series has been a, a great series. I know that so many of you have said I never realized that God gives us a category for dealing with pain and suffering. He doesn't, I've never realized that God gives us a language for that. And so I know this has been a great resource for many of you. And I can only imagine how many other people might find uh, this to be a great resource as well. So feel free to share it. Um, even if you'd like my notes, I can give you my notes to the whole ser- series so that you can go back and, and uh, look at those as well. So I just want this to be a resource for you as we, um, as we journey together. And today, as we draw our attention to the text of today, I want us to be reminded, and we know this, that pain and suffering are a reality of life. You don't have to live long until you experience pain and suffering. It's, it's a part of, of life that we experience, a natural part of life that we experience that wasn't by God's design, but becomes a natural part of life because of the fall. Because when sin entered in the world, it corrupted everything. And when we go through these seasons of suffering and pain, one of the natural questions that arise is the question of why. Right? We, we always want to know why. We're inquisitive because we want to know why is this happening? Why is this bad thing happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? How can I get out of this? And especially in our American culture, we don't do well in the dissonance of life. Right? We, we want life to have a question and we want it to have an answer and we want to move on. We don't like living in the tension of pain and suffering. We, we want to know why, we want to know how, and we know, want to know what is going on so that we can fix it. And I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't always release us or free us from pain and suffering. That there's somehow in which God ministers to us in the deep pains of our lives. And as we've been looking at the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah, the prophet, is asking this question. As he is overlooking the city, seeing the devastation and the destruction that the Babylonians have come and destroyed the city and taken God's people into captivity, Jeremiah's pondering all that he's seeing, and he's been asking the question, why? And one of the things that we learn from this book is the why behind the suffering here is specifically because the people of God sinned. Not only did the people of God sin, 
But the leaders that were supposed to lead God's people sinned. Everyone was guilty of violating God's law. They had lived their lives in such a way that they believed that they were above the discipline of the Lord. And now God has stepped in and he's showing him, showing them his discipline. And so sometimes when we go through seasons of suffering, sometimes when you go through seasons of suffering, it becomes a direct result of your sin. God disciplines us because he loves us. And so sometimes we walk through suffering and we ask the question, why? And the simple answer is, is because we've made bad choices. Because we've done bad things. And God is seeking to, to discipline us, to bring us back to him. But you know, that's not always the case for suffering. Suffering is not always the direct result of our sin. So when a family member dies or someone loses their job or life just falls apart, we can't immediately rush in and say, well, all that's happening to you because you've sinned. Life's not that always that neat. Sometimes there are other things going on in our lives and we walk through seasons of suffering and the answer is not as simple as you've sinned. Sometimes we go through seasons of suffering as because it's collateral damage from someone else's sin, right? Someone else is living in disobedience to God and their decisions and uh, the things that they do and the path that they walk impacts our own lives. And so sometimes we go through seasons of suffering because of someone else's sin. But then we also sometimes go through suffering as just consequences of the fall, as consequences of this broken world. Like sometimes we go through seasons of suffering, we get cancer and we lose our jobs and we lose our houses, sometimes just as a direct result of the fall. But then also sometimes we go through seasons of suffering because somehow God's sovereign plan is unfolding around us that we can't always see, but sometimes our suffering directly relates to the glory of God. We, we see this in the book of Job. We see this in Job's life. Job had really done nothing wrong, but yet God had set him apart because he wanted to use his life as a way of glorifying himself. And so regardless of the reason that we go through seasons of suffering, God has given us this gift of lament. This gift of lament that it gives us the opportunity, gives us language to express our pain. And as we've talked about, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And as we've been talking about this, I want us to give us a little bit more clarification on this as we um, put a bow on this sermon series today. Is lament is different than complaining. Right? It's not just you know, un unceasing complaining going to God because complaining, when we look at it at its root, complaining is rooted in self-pity. Complaining is self-centered. Where we look at our lives and we say, woe is me. Life is all about me. All of this bad stuff's happening to me. Where we play the victim as though we have done nothing wrong and we deserve nothing and we just complain. So, so lament is not complaining in incessance. Lament, on the other hand, are prayers that are rooted in our brokenness. And they focus on God. So that's, that's the distinction. So not all the things that you've done in your life when you go to God are purely lament. A lot of times what we do when we go to God is purely complaining. 
where we just say like, God, get me out because this is unfair, this is unjust, where in, in essence, lament takes the opportunity to be reminded that we are broken, that we are in need of someone else to fix us and save us. So lament our prayers that are rooted in our brokenness that focus in on God. So how do you know if you're complaining or lamenting? How do you know? Well, we ask ourselves this question. Is what I'm saying bringing me closer to God or further away? Again, not all, not all complaining is lamenting. Right? In essence, is what I'm doing, is what I'm saying, is what I'm thinking, is what I'm feeling, is it bringing me closer to God or is it pulling me further and further away? Because sometimes when we get in that complaining route, we get to the point of where we allow um, the feelings that we're going through to begin to question the character of God and we say, God, you are not good. Right? And when we start saying, God, you are not good, that's definitely complaining because we know at the heart of the character of God is that God is good even when life doesn't feel good. So that's, that's, that's a good test for your disposition. Is it bringing you closer to God or is it bringing you further away? So today as we, we close our series this morning entitled Good Morning, I want us to see that lament brings us back to God. Lament brings us back to God. Specifically, it brings us back to God in the context of, of, of what Jeremiah is writing here. He's lamenting because the suffering is coming as a direct result of sin. So when we walk through those seasons of sin in our lives, when, when we're suffering because of the bad choices that we've made, this is a beautiful roadmap of how to be restored to God. So lament brings us back to God. As sin takes us away from God, Lament brings us back. And lament invites us to take the gaze from the rubble of our lives and turn that gaze back to the Redeemer that can fix all the things that we've broken. And so today, what we're going to see is we're going to see three ways that sin takes us away from God, but the lament gives us the opportunity to come back. And as we look at this passage, what we see in this closing prayer is not whiny hopelessness. Rather, Jeremiah is doing the exact opposite. And this prayer of lament in the midst of suffering is asking God to see the pain and it's asking God to act. The powerfulness of this lament assumes a couple things. Jeremiah is assuming a couple things and we can assume a couple of things when we walk through seasons of lament. First, we can assume that God hears us. Because God is a good father, he hears the cries of his children. And so we can assume that he hears us. Second, we can assume, just as Jeremiah does here, that God cares. God knows your pain and God cares about your pain. And then the third assumption that we see Jeremiah coming to the, the text today and we too can, can uh, take on in our lives is that we can assume that God has the power to act. So not only does God hear, God cares, but God has the power to step in and act in mighty ways. And so lament gives us the opportunity 
to not suffer alone, to not try to, to sit in our heads or sit in our hearts and try to fix all the problems of life and, and to deal with all of our sin. But lament gives us the opportunity to come to God with open hands and say, God, this is the mess that I'm dealing with. Help me. And that opens the door and gives God space to work. So as we come here, let us, we're going to see three things today, three ways that sin takes us away from God, but the same way that, that uh, lament gives us the opportunity to come back to God. The first way that sin takes us away is that sin causes disgrace. Sin causes disgrace. And so we begin by lamenting our disgrace. Look with me in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Jeremiah writes, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get, the wood, the wood we must get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have, given the, we have been given in the hand of, to Egypt and to Assyria to get, our, to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. So that we see here that we begin by lamenting our disgrace as Jeremiah is lamenting the disgrace of not only his people, but he's lamenting the disgrace of himself. And he's calling on God here in verse 1 to remember he says, God, look and see how we have befallen. Look and see how we've fallen and how we've, how we've slid away from the place that we used to be. When he calls on God to look, he's not asking God to recall something that God doesn't know. Right? He's not, not saying, God, you don't know what's going on here. You're not sovereign. This is not an attack on God's sovereignty. Instead, what he's saying is he's calling on God, not because God has forgotten, but he's calling on God to act for what God already knows. You see, God already sees and God already knows, but Jeremiah is calling out in his, in his dependence upon God. He's saying, God, see. God, see what? Specifically, God, see our disgrace. God, see how our, our sin has produced disgrace in our lives. And then he walks through and gives us some pictures of what this disgrace looks like. In verse 2, he's lamenting the disgrace of their inheritance. God had promised, remember God had promised Abraham years ago that the Israelite people would be his special chosen people and that they would have an inheritance of a land. This was God's promise. This was God showing that he is with them and that he is for them and he is God that cares for them. And now that land has been taken away. Now that land has been given to someone else and it's a disgrace. Strangers now inhabit the land in verse 3, he laments the disgrace of becoming like orphans and widows. They once were God's chosen people, and now they feel as though they have no father. They feel as though they've been abandoned. They are disgraced. He says this disgrace has caused them to be treated like aliens in their own land. 
They now have to pay for the basic things and the basic necessities of life. Those that were already a part of of just their general life, now they have to go to those that are over them and get necessities. And so they are disgraced. And then Jeremiah, in the midst of this disgrace, identifies the problem or the reason for this disgrace. He comes to a, a place of confession in verse 7. He confesses their real reason for their state. It's because of their sin. It's not only because of their sin, but it's the, the sin of their fathers and the generations that gone before them because they had turned away from God and now they've inherited this turning, this, this heart that turns away from God and now they're expressing and feeling the weight of that sin. The repercussions of their sins is now on this generation. And what we need to be reminded this morning is though we live in a world that wants to minimize sin and we live in a world that wants to give sin all kinds of different, uh, different words, like we want to downplay it and we say, well, it, I, I was born this way or, or I can't help it because it, it's who I am. And we don't want to make sin uh, the word sin. We want to give it all kinds of excuses. But we, can, we know in our hearts when we sin, because sin always, always, always produces disgrace. Sin always, always, always produces shame. And we live in a world where we all feel shame. But we also live in a world where we've been taught that you should hide your shame. It doesn't matter what you really feel on the inside. Work really, really hard to produce a facade that allows everyone else in the world to know that you're okay. Right? We, we see this on, on social media, right? You, you can go to social media and you can have a perfect life. You can uh, filter this and filter that and, and only highlight the good things in your life and all of your friends will be envious of your perfect life while the whole time you know that in your heart you're dealing with shame and disgrace. Because you're not taking pictures of the bad stuff of your life. You're only taking pictures and sharing pictures of the highlights. Sin always, always, always produces shame. Remember back Adam and Eve in the garden? Right, right before sin entered the world, they enjoyed complete and perfect fellowship with the God of the universe. They walked with God in the cool of the day. And then they sinned. And once they were realized, their eyes were open. And the Bible tells us that they saw for the first time that they were naked and they were ashamed. So what did they do? They ran and hid. They ran away. They realized that they were sinful and they knew that God was holy. So instead of running to God for forgiveness and asking God for his grace, they ran away in their sin and in their shame. Shame is not from the Lord. Shame always, always, always causes us to run away from God. It causes us to pull away. You see, the Lord, a gift from the Lord is conviction. Right, Conviction is from the Lord. When we, when we hear the voice of God as we start walking down a path and we feel that and we hear his voice saying, don't go that way, don't go that way. And then when we disobey and we go that way, 
then conviction has already done its part and what produces next after we've sinned is shame. And that comes not from God, but it comes from our willful disobedience. So conviction is a sign from God to say, hey, don't go that way. So instead of walking that way, we should immediately turn and go the other way. But then when we begin to feel shame, we know that we've already stepped off the cliff. And that should be another sign that our next step is to run to our Savior. God gives us the gift of lament because we can lament our shame. When we blow it big time and we mess up and we get wayward, the best thing that we can do is lament our shame. Don't hide it. Don't try to cover it up. But bring that ugliness to the Savior. Do you feel disgrace today? Do you feel shame today? Are you feeling the weight of maybe some wrong choices? I want to encourage you today, stop running from God and run to the throne of grace. For the throne of grace is where our disgrace is wiped away. Right? Because at the throne of grace, there's an abundance of mercy. Yes, God is just. Yes, God is holy, but God is also abounding in steadfast love, and there is no end to his mercy. So it doesn't matter how far you've gone away. It doesn't matter what you've done. Bring all of that mess to the throne of God, and there is mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy that will never, ever, ever end. You see, disgrace is the opposite of grace. Grace is unmerited favor that comes from God alone. And Jesus has come to fix what we have messed up. Jesus came to live the life that we couldn't and died the death that we deserve. And it's through Jesus and through our faith in Jesus we can be forgiven. I love what 1 John 1, 9 says, that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? Though we live our lives wallowing around in sin and we stain every part of our lives through our pride and through our rebellion and through chasing after things in this world, we become dirty and we become soiled. But the promise of 1 John 1, 9 is, is that if we come to God and we confess our mess, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He forgives us the ways that we've gone wrong and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So we come to Jesus, we come to God through Jesus by confessing our sin and placing faith in Jesus. That's how we enter into a relationship with God. But that's the way that we stay in relationship with God after that, by continually confessing the sins that we do. So sin takes us away from God and it produces shame. Lament brings us back to God. But the second way, we see that not only does sin take us away and produce shame, but sin causes enslavement. So the second thing that we are to do is to lament our enslavement. Look with me in verse eight. Jeremiah laments, he says, slaves rule over us. There is no one to deliver us from their hands. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot as ovens with the burning heat of famine. 
Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under the loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. The second thing that Jeremiah is lamenting here is the enslavement of God's people. There's a a shift here that goes from the pain of disgrace now to the pain of enslavement. We see that God's people were enslaved at one time in Egypt, but God had swooped down and saved them from that enslavement and made them free. And they lived freely with God. And now the great reversal is taking place. Now they find themselves, because of their sin, back as slaves. And Jeremiah gives some very graphic imagery of what's actually taking place in this enslavement. That they're no longer free. That even the simplest things of life, like gathering food, are death-defying activities now. We see even in their culture, not only is food difficult to come by and just surviving is difficult to come by, but, the, but their very lives, the value of their very lives have become diminished. Women of all ages are raped and mistreated. Older men are given no dignity and young men are the subject of torture and execution. Young men are doing the work of slaves. All the joy is gone. There's no old men sitting at the city gates that are giving wisdom. There are no one sitting at the city gates rejoicing and and playing instruments. Instead, life is hard. They are slaves. And Jeremiah is fully aware of their sin, and he's fully aware of what has caused this enslavement. As he cries out, woe to us, for we have sinned. The deep sorrow that they're feeling, the devastation that they're experiencing is coming as a direct result of their own hand. Know this truth, that sin always comes at a price, and the price of sin is the price of joy because of enslavement. When we sin, we lose joy. We lose joy and take on shackles. This is exactly what Jeremiah is saying. And Jeremiah is, is, is lamenting the fact of, of looking back and saying, only if we had never sinned, if we had never gone down that road, if we had only been obedient, we would never be expressing or experiencing this type of pain and suffering and this enslavery. He says, sin always promises pleasure. Sin always promises joy. Sin always promises to produce life. But it never does. Sin is a great liar. Sin is a great pretender. But sin is so tempting. We may even get to the fact in our own lives where we think that sin doesn't affect us. We think that we're above it. We think that we can, we can live in these momentary um, places of pleasure and it doesn't impact every other area of our lives. But in reality, though we're blinded to it, we're actually slowly becoming slaves to our sin. It's like an addiction. I, I saw this uh, the other day. Addiction can be described as this. Addiction is giving everything up for one thing. 
recovery is giving up one thing for everything. Right? When we truly become addicted, that's another way of being a slave, right? You, you give up everything. The only thing that matters is, is feeding that inside of you, which is really killing you. Right? Think about how crazy that is. Right? Each one of us are born with a thirst. We're all born with knowing that there's a need inside of us, but so many people are living their lives gorging themselves on salt water. It may be cold, it may be wet but it doesn't satisfy. That's why when Jesus says, come to me and I will be within you, a well of living water that will never run dry. See, God knows that he created us with this need, but he wants to be the one, the thing that satisfies us. And so sin enslaves us. And we have no life, no freedom, only as a slave. And here's the most damaging thing as a Christian, for Christians, is before we come to know Christ, we still know that there's sin and we know that there's rebellion, but a lot of times we don't know better. Right? So the, so the unbeliever that's living like an unbeliever, you can't have expectations for them to live like a Christian because they don't know better. But the challenge is for Christians, when we come to believe and we come to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us and we know better. And then the challenge becomes is when we know better, we know the good that we ought to do and we don't do it. Instead, we willfully choose to sin. Guess what comes next? Regret. Oh, if I would have only done what I should have done in the first place, I never would have experienced this. Our eyes are open to see the damaging effects of our sin. And here's the the thing about regret. Regret only leads us to be a repeat offender. Regret does not produce reformation. So many times as Christians, we're like, I know the good I ought to do and I don't do it, so I feel regret. And that regret, we live in that place of dissonance with this regret and we're like, how do I deal with this? Well, I'm not gonna do that again. I'm not going down that road again. I'm gonna change my ways. I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna be stronger. And then guess what happens? Because we've enslaved ourselves to sin, we find ourselves doing the same thing over again. And then we come to the place of regret. Like, oh, if I only would have not done that. And then we think to ourselves, guess what? Well, I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna be better. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna change my behavior. I'm gonna change my thoughts. And I'm gonna do this. And guess what? You're back at regret again. And you're back at regret again. And you're back at regret again. Because regret does not bring about reformation. It doesn't bring about reform. It's only there to remind us of our brokenness. So lament is the key. It's the pathway to reformation, to reform. Where we come to this place of sin and we say, God, I'm helpless to save myself. I can't get out of this mess. I can't give up this addiction. I need your help. I'm wretched. Woe to me because I am a sinner. Not you. I am a sinner and I am need of rescue. When we open up our hands and we say, Lord, rescue me. Guess what he does? He's a good father. 
And I know when my kids raise their hands to me and they say, Daddy, I need help, I am booking it to them. I'm running as fast as I can and nothing's getting in my way because my child needs me. And this is what our Heavenly Father does for us. He chases after us. He comes to us in our desperate point of need and he grabs us up and he pulls us out of that pit. You want to unleash the power of Christ? Lament. As Christians, we shouldn't continue in habitual sin because we have died to sin. In Romans 6, 1 through 7, Paul writes this. He says, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we were buried, therefore, with him by the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with the new in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you never come to see him, you're you're dead in your sins today. But you have the opportunity to be made free through believing in Jesus. But for the believer... For those of us that have always trusted in him, the reality is that we are truly dead to sin. That Jesus has come in and he's released us from the bondage of sin. And so we live with shackles in our hands. We live with the freedom of being able to decide who we're going to enslave ourselves to. And so many Christians, although they have the free shackles, they choose to, to shackle themselves back to sin. And what, what Paul is saying is, don't do that anymore. You are, you are free just because you are united with Christ because he was dead and now he's alive. You too are dead and now you're alive and you live free. And so in other areas of, of Romans, Paul says that we are to make ourselves slaves to Christ. Take those shackles and shackle us to Christ and then allow him to take us where he wants us to go and to do what he wants us to do. So if you're here today and you're living enslaved to sin, you may really feeling, be feeling the joyness and emptiness of life and maybe you've been guilty of trying to overcome your sin yourself. Realize the only way that you're going to be able to become free again is by bringing it to Jesus and confessing it all and saying, Lord, help me. So sin takes us away, lament brings us back. And lastly, I want us to see that sin causes estrangement. So we should thirdly lament our estrangement. Look at me in verse 17. He says, for this, our heart became sick. For these things, our eyes had grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as the day of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. The last thing that Jeremiah laments here is their estrangement. The people of God 
have distanced themselves from the Lord. They have sinned, and that sin has damaged and affected the relationship and the closeness of a relationship. It's caused their hearts to become sick, and it's caused Mount Zion, the place of their hope, to become desolate. And so they feel it. They feel the distance of God. And here's the crazy thing about it. Oh, we'll get there in just a second, because we'll, we'll see this in verse 19. Verse 19, we see a glimmer of hope. The glimmer of hope comes with the word but. You see, Jeremiah, in this moment, transitions from taking his gaze on the present painful situation and sinful circumstances as he looks around at all the devastation. In verse 19, this word but says his eyes go from the problems to heaven. Right? But you, O Lord, reign forever. So his eyes go from the pain to heaven. And what he's realizing is that God has never left. God has not moved. God has stayed in the same place. What's happened is the people of God have moved. They've moved away. They've taken off and they've gone their own way. But his eyes go to heaven and he is reminded again that God is still reigning on the throne. In the midst of their trouble, he is still sovereign. And because God is still on his throne, he has the power to act and to change their circumstances. Isn't this a beautiful picture? Like the people of God have wondered. God hasn't moved. God is still right there. And the beautiful thing is that when we realize that we messed everything up, the greatest thing we can do is look back to heaven and realize that there is unending mercy. And in verse 20, we see that Jeremiah again calls on God not to forget. And it's not that they were out of God's memory, but they were out of God's mercy. Right? They, they had moved so much, and so they weren't experiencing the mercy of God. They are estranged. And so now Jeremiah sees that the people of God have moved away from God, and now he's crying to come back. Sin always causes distance in the relationship. But we also see that in Christ there is, and in God there is unending mercy. Jeremiah's calling on God, be, be, have your mercies. Even though we deserve to be totally written off by you, God, even though we deserve it, now we turn to you and ask that you be gracious once again. And this is a reminder that God's discipline is momentary, but that his mercies are new every day. Lament gives us the pathway back to God so that we can receive his mercies and grace again. What is this roadmap of lament? We begin with confession. We move to repentance and then we receive grace. When we find ourselves experiencing sin, shame, as slaves or distant from God, the way that we fix it is through confession, repentance, and receiving God's grace and mercy once again. I love, and I'll end on this verse. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through nine, reminds us of who we were and how Christ intercedes on our behalf. And he uh, Paul writes this, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and, the mind, and, and body and mind, and we were like nature, children of wrath, like the rest of my, mankind. But then we come to verse four and we see another but. 
Right? So, so Ephesians starts off saying, hey, we're all dead. We're all messed up. We're all living out our own passions because we're rebellious against God and we're, we're objects of God's wrath. But God, who being rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith that it's not of your own doing that is the gift of God not as the result of works that no one may boast. So what we see is that sin causes shame, it causes disgrace, it enslaves us and it gives us distance from God and there's nothing that we can do on our own to overcome it. But Jesus has done the work. He has come and saved us in our wretchedness. And all we need to do is to believe and place faith in him. So the same way we come to Christ is through Jesus, and the same way that we are restored daily is to come to Jesus. Believer, if you're here today and your relationship with the Lord feels estranged because of your habitual sin, let me remind you to lament by confessing and repenting those sins. And may your prayer be the prayer of David that he prays in Psalm 51. Created me a clean heart. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. Church, let us respond today. If the Lord has been working in your heart and there's conviction, deal with it before the Lord. If there's shame, don't leave this place in your shame, but bring it to him. If you feel distance between you and God, the gift is that God is waiting to receive us back. He's waiting for his child to lift his hands and say, Daddy, help see, God has given us amazing gifts so that we can live lives of joy and lives of peace. But we must respond. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you that they are true, and we thank you that your words bring life. But we're also thankful for this reminder of the consequences of our sin and the damaging effects that sin has on each one of our lives. And so, Father, I pray right now that your spirit would be at work and continue to be at work in our lives. Bring to mind right now the areas of our lives that are out of line with your holiness. I pray, God, that we would be real right now before you and that we would say, come in, Lord. See every area of my life that's displeasing to you Make me aware of it so that I may be made right and new. And when God shows us those things, Father, I pray that we would immediately respond by not running away, but running to and allowing you, our gracious Father, to deal with our rebellion and sin. My Father, there may be someone here today that needs to give their life to you. I pray that they would stop resisting and call on your name for salvation. But Father, also for those that are dealing with sin addiction and they're tired of trying to fix themselves, Father, I pray today that they would just give it to you.
may they see your work in their lives, freeing them from the slavery. And God, as we sing this last song, remind us of your character and your goodness because it's only in you that we find salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.